Welcome to Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Today in the Valley with Ibrahim Sanya are two seasoned investors and fintech industry veterans who chose to lend their expertise to the African continent. In 2021, they co-founded First Circle Capital, a VC fund busy supporting the growth of the next generation of African fintech. Today, the Valley welcomes Agnes Kisule and Selma Rebecca. Welcome to Silverbacks Valley. I'm your host today, and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. Today's episode is sponsored by AFCA. AFCA, the African Private Capital Association, is the nexus of private capital in the continent. It champions and enables private capital investment all across the continent. As the Pan-African industry body, AFCA plays a significant role as an effective change agent for the industry and acts as the trusted independent source of information, insight, and intelligence, inspiring investors' confidence, making the case for both commercial returns and impact for private capital in Africa. AFCA represents a community of capital allocators, investors, fund managers, advisors, entrepreneurs, and professional service providers committed to our shared vision of a prosperous Africa that is sustainable, inclusive, and innovative. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. Hi, Agnes. Good to see you both. How are you guys doing? Hey, Ibrahim. Thanks so much for having us. We're great. Hi, Ibrahim. Awesome to see you. It's a superb to have uh, two formidable ladies like you uh, in the show today. I would like to start by hearing your respective origin stories. Salma, you go first. Uh, yeah, my background is I'm originally, I, I was born in Bosnia in Sarajevo. This is where I grew up. And then when I was 17, I left and studied mostly in Europe and started my career working um, also in Eastern Europe um, and, and, and France and, and Italy shortly. And then I did my MBA in 2011. Uh, and this is really when I realized that um, I want to refocus the rest of my career on Africa. Uh, it's, it's the MBA provided a period of reflection, which uh, made me realize that I that the Africa is the last continent where some major positive changes yet to happen. And uh, I believed uh, already then that technology will be the major part of, the major driver of that change. So this is when, the, uh, since 2011, I've been focused on Africa and um, uh, first as M-Pesa. Uh, I was in charge of driving uh, M-Pesa's growth through country launches, new country launches and product innovation, uh, building and launching new products. Uh, I did a lot of work in Ghana, Egypt, but also East Africa, Kenya, and Tanzania. Uh, and then after that, I moved to the investment side and um, been investing in Africa for the last um, six, seven years. So I'm originally Austrian. Um, I started my career after law school as an entrepreneur, building a manufacturing business in Jordan, and then building another um, uh, textile manufacturing business in, in the Ukraine. 
before I decided I want to do something more innovative. Uh, so I joined the data science startup in Berlin. And then ultimately, because I, I felt like Europe is too organized for me, so I uh, got the chance to join a startup in Uganda. And I didn't really know much about Africa at that point and about tech in Africa. So I was like, okay, let me just go there and find out what's going on. Um, and that's what I did four years ago. And as I got to know the, the whole regional ecosystem and, and the, the, the technology companies that are being built, got very excited about uh, the prospect to invest in them. And that's ultimately what led me on this journey as, uh, to become a venture capitalist. Thank you. That's exciting stuff, uh, Sovereign Agnes. Now we get an idea of how to get you get into technology. How did the choice of fintech come about? So, I mean, Sama has a great background in fintech. That was the one thing. And then on the other thing, like this is where we see the biggest market opportunity in the next uh, decade. You just have to look at uh, the number of banks on the continent and, and how many people they serve and uh, the massive gaps that are existing in, in the financial space in Africa. And we believe fintech has a very good opportunity to be servicing the needs of a fast-growing population at a much greater speed than the traditional incumbent players. Maybe just to add to that, you know, uh, as my journey actually started in Africa in fintech in 2012, um, it was a very interesting time, you know, to see how are we building financial services for the masses, right? Leveraging that infrastructure, which was telco, telco, you know, um, networks, telcos came in the early 2000s and built the towers and suddenly people had mobile phones. So when we built M-Pesa, we were testing something, but um, I mean, today is a 1 billion revenue business last year. It's a huge business. But I think the most important thing that we were able to prove back then is that we can build these huge, sustainable, profitable businesses by serving the low purchasing power masses. So people who are perhaps transacting microtransactions and less than $300 a month, but by doing and enabling them to do so in a more convenient and cost-effective way, we are including them in the formal economy and unleashing the, the, the GDP growth. So, so, so the proof that businesses can be built serving the masses in financial services, something that banks never did before. Banks only used to serve the rich and don't even, you know, ignore uh, the middle class, lower middle class and the working class in, in terms of income. Uh, and this was, this was the major breakthrough. So M-Pesa was only the beginning. Today, we, there are still gaps. There are still gaps in credit. Uh, majority of the population is not served by credit, so are not SMEs. There are gaps in infrastructure, interoperability, um, a digitization of cash, business payments, remittances, um, treasury management. There are so many gaps. And uh, we can back the teams that are going to be, be build future M-Pesas, businesses that can reach the scale and the impact that M-Pesa had. So, so the, um, the journey continues. Super exciting, super exciting stuff. Now, obviously, when you decided to establish uh, the firm, for a circle, you were seeing that there was a competitive landscape. There was a, 
an army of VCs that were setting up shop on the continent, most of them Pan-African, multi-sector. And obviously you had background in technology both, and you had to make this choice to restrict your attention to fintech. Uh, did you have any models overseas? Because obviously on the continent, the only other major uh, fintech uh, player is QED that's uh, coming from the US and has started recently deploying capital into the space. Is there a reference point, a model that did inspire you when you're setting up uh, the firm? I think we really like what Seedcamp has built in Europe. When we look at early stage funds and the way they're doing it, they managed to scale and become the number one seed investor. However, we also chose to be sector focused because we thought Africa is such a vast continent and it's still fragmented continent where uh, it's difficult to scale across, uh, expand, a business environment may not be as friendly, this fragmented regulatory space for the fintechs as well. So we chose that focusing on fintech will allow us a better quality of investment decisions and going into one topic very, very deep will also enable us help our portfolio companies better. So let's say this is, this is the journey. I mean, we are inspired and we want to become the leading seed fund on the continent, but that sector focus is, is, is a way we want to go about it. Not, not just the leading seed fund, we want to be the leading venture fund. We have a lot of plans down the road. Excellent. Now, let's uh, dive into the deep end. So what makes for you a spectacular fintech investment? Is there an example you can speak about each of you within your existing portfolio and then before this experience? Maybe I can start with like uh, my one of my earliest angel investments was a company called Conto is a company called Conto in France uh, that I backed as one of the first investors and uh, uh, part of the family friends round. Um, it's a company that decided to serve um, freelancers, startups, micro businesses, and then moving up to medium sized medium sized businesses with everything that is linked to their uh, fi financial services needs, so banking needs, but also operational needs, very product led kind of vision. Right. Um, and they meant that today, you know, uh, they are the, the most valued fintech in France. Uh, on the last round, they raised at the valuation of five billion. And uh, it always inspires me that journey, which I think is possible to do in Africa as well. And um, the kind of also ecosystem play active ecosystem players, the founders have become uh, they are actually also uh, big supporters of First Circle Capital, are one of the first investors in our fund. Um, and maybe to our portfolio, I uh, really love what a um, company called CredRails is doing. So it's a company that we backed very early on um, and been witnessing their growth and journey. This is a very interesting space. It's, uh, it's, it's what's called CFO automation space, basically uh, companies that are building all the solutions serving CFOs of enterprises or financial services uh, verticals or SME segment uh, companies. So basically CredRails uh, is, is building um, Bill.com for Africa. 
uh, by attacking first financial services uh, vertical, which is a very strategic decision. And the first product is the reconciliation. Reconciliation is one of the major problems today we have uh, in financial services. And uh, many businesses are dealing with the reconciliation problem. Uh, in, a, in a fragmented today's environment, we have banks on one side, then we have fintechs, then we have uh, cash, then we have agent banking networks, then we have mobile money. So all these players, any business is collecting payments through all these different channels and is also paying its suppliers through various different channels. Payments get lost. Uh, transactions are unrecorded. They're hard to track. Uh, CredRails has to, to date since December last year. So over the last, you know, four months, they reconciled more than $8 billion worth of transaction volume. And $3 billion out of $8 billion were needed to be reconciled and they helped reconcile in the books of their customers. So we see this as a huge opportunity that needs to be addressed. Uh, and we believe this team is the right one to do that. So I'm very excited about CredRails and their future. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And another one that we are extremely excited about um, right now is called Pomelo. Uh, we are very keen on, on the neobank uh, fintech super app space. Ob obviously, those are quite big buzzwords. And when you dig into it, there are very few um, players with substance. Um, but we see that it has a lot of potential on the market as, 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 as the banking market generally is not serving too many clients. Um, so we found this extremely interesting company that has already like, um, great traction, uh, since we invested, like they doubled their revenue, the revenues to now 5 million ARR, mainly on the credit side. However, they have, um, 30% of that revenue since last year coming from other channels because what they realized is they have a high in-app engagement. And that is something we got extremely excited about because if you make like clients, uh, your, your customers stick into your app, you can sell them other products and you can find other ways to service them. Um, and so we are doubling down on that company because we think um, that they have the right, how should I say, the right starting points to, to really build out a great banking, a new banking product, um, offering their clients uh different kinds of financial services. And maybe just to add something, I think, to, to, to what Agnes said, we're super excited about this and, and, and the comp, you know, uh, Pomelo and, and, and CredRails and many other companies in our portfolio. And what we try to do as investors is to help them with that strategy of scaling, put the right uh, targets in place, KPIs, and, and we're very active. Like we like to be part of that creation and co-creation process. And as part of the, the, the round that we're investing, we typically like to put an advisory board in place where we invite experts globally through our network. So in our network, among our LP base, but also other wider community, we have experienced founders who built neobanks, BMPLs globally. 
Um, some of them had very successful exits, you know, unicorn exits. And these people, then we bring them into those rounds and um, they co-invest with us and they become advisors to the founders of these companies. So this is the case with uh, Pomelo, for example, but not only. This is one, one, one important part of our value add that we will continue doing. Because we feel like channeling the capital is important, but channeling the knowledge and experience as well is, is what will make our portfolio companies win and accelerate their growth. Yeah, and especially, I mean, most uh, there's a lot of fintech models that have been proven and they just don't have the right uh, localized application on the market. So bringing on people who've been there, um, maybe even, even if it was in a different emerging market, but who've been there, who've built a successful unicorn and uh, a successful, very large business, um, can help like our founders to just like, uh, to save some monies on, 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 on making the same mistakes. Excellent. Now let's discuss a bit of, uh, portfolio construction. So our own experience within the space of fintech has been so far that in terms of valuation, in terms of EV sales or, uh, valuation to sale. The lowest, uh, the lowest segment has been uh, lending or trading or insure tech type of opportunities. And then trading better has been uh, a specialty bank by now pay later, but anything that has to do with payment and SaaS performs significantly better in terms of, uh, secondary pricing in terms of exit opportunities. Like the gap is just so wide between the SaaS, the payment model, and then on the other side, anything that is solely lending based. Can you tell us what's your own experience and why do you think that is? And furthermore, probably dive into how is your portfolio constructed? Is there any specific approach you guys are taking? Yeah, I'm happy to comment on this payment and uh, gap, you know, in valuations. I, 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 there was something strange about VCs around the world that they really get excited about the payment opportunity. While payment is a very low margin business and it's extremely hard in African context and extremely costly to digitize cash transactions. So it's a, it's maybe perhaps something that we inherited from other markets where this is a more lucrative and scalable business, but, and it kind of translated to Africa. But we think payments themselves are, we see it as a strategic asset. So we do have PSPs in our portfolio because we think it's a strategic asset. However, these are the companies where we do not, it, it, we, we are aware that it's very hard to make, you know, reach 100 million, uh, 200 million ARR business because these are microtransactions. And we typically prefer models that have, uh, like in the case of neobanks, uh, we believe that a credit-led model, credit-led neobank is the right approach for this market. And in fact, if we look globally, uh, payment-led neobanks are those that uh, today have inflated valuations and very thin revenues, and we don't want to be in this situation. So that's a little bit on this uh, payments uh, businesses overvalued, a uh, little comment there. Yeah, and I mean, we have to look at the next 10 years. We just globally entered a new interest 
regime. I mean, in Africa, we know interest uh, rates much better than anywhere else, but it, it has arrived uh, in, in, the, in the VC sector as well. So we, there will be a different stra- there will be different strategies on acquisitions and there will be a more scrutiny towards also technology companies to deliver uh, returns and to, to build high margin businesses. Like, uh, I don't think we will see the same type of valuations and, and exits, uh, the same profiles, like moving forward. It just doesn't make sense in this market. And about um, the, the portfolio construction, when we look at fintech, uh, we, we see two big buckets, right? So one is the fintech infrastructure. We continue investing in infrastructure. And here we are backing uh, things like uh, RegTech, uh, PSPs, uh, or open banking infrastructure, CFO automation, etc. different models. Uh, typically uh, a combination of different revenue models that can be complementary and strategically work together. And the other big bucket is really reinventing financial services use case by use case. This is everything else. It's what we call leapfrogging, and for lack of a better word. It's really reinventing financial services for the African context. So uh, here, not necessarily, uh, it's not always useful to have cookie cutters. You know, our, our, a lot of VCs, they like to see cookie cutters. So we do recommend our portfolio companies to mention some cookie cutters in their deck. Uh, however, a lot of these models need to be adapted for the local context, which is um, the one where cash is still king. A lot of cash in the economy that needs to be replaced, um, uh, fragmented markets, and um, we are basically going from uh, analog to digital. So, so there is a lot of uh, local modification that needs to be taken into account. So. So our portfolio construction will be roughly split into into these two big buckets. Good stuff. Now, I'm clear that you guys are definitely looking into the future already uh, and uh, being cognizant of the changes that are rapidly occurring both on the continent and outside. Uh, and I know that, um, Selma, in your case, you were also quite active on the telecom side when telecom was the hottest technology on the continent over the last uh, 15, uh, 17 years. And if you recall, there's been a brutal shift where SMS uh, and GSM were basically the, the sexy investment proposition. And then suddenly uh, everybody discovered that the scalable play and the steady play was actually the telecom towers, which basically was agnostic to the sector, allowed the GSM to brutally fight against each other, kill each other, eating each other's margin, but with all of them feeding the telecom tower. And that business today is massively resilient compared to GSM. Is there anything that you observe in the overall fintech space that has those characteristics and where you guys are aggregating, like uh, moth to the flame? What is the future of fintech in Africa or, or what we are? Maybe it's best we talk, what are we excited about? 
Um, uh, first of all, I, I, we really see each market as, um, as, as, as a place of its own, because if we look at the history, you know, Kenya was kind of leading the way with the regulatory, in, a positive, innovation-friendly regulatory environment. And it's the market where M-Pesa is really dominant. Then there is Nigeria, which initially lagged behind Kenya in the regulatory um regulatory, you know, um, openings, but uh, managed to catch up through amazing innovation. And today is a fintech power, uh, um, a powerhouse in Africa. And then we have Egypt that uh, is, is, is a more relatively new arrival. And in each of these markets, we are excited about similar, but um, also some sometimes very different things. Uh, as I said, we still believe one bucket is the B2B fintech infrastructure in which we want to invest um, a significant portion of this this fund. This, this is everything from classic things like um, PSPs, um, embedded models, reg tech, uh, but also things like B2B infrastructure like CFO automation, as I mentioned, a company called CredRails, about which we are really excited about. Everything that helps CFOs um, manage the business operations and finance operations better, that helps enterprises manage their treasury better, as uh, resolving for uh, unreconciled payments or uh, movement management of different currencies and FX. Uh, so on one hand, fintech infrastructure. On the other hand, uh, we are also excited about um, things that haven't been cracked yet, like, for example, insurtech. Insurance is something that we spent a lot of time on and uh, we spent a lot of time understanding what are the right models for Africa and uh, how can we bring the insurance penetration adoption from zero, you know, 0 0.5 percent in Egypt where it is today to uh, three percent or maybe six percent, which is the global average. And we, we looked a lot at what, what, what happened in India and what happened in LATAM and we decided to back some companies that are marrying all offline and online approach and reinventing distribution first to get there. So we place some very long-term destructive bets in this in the insure tech space. Um, new areas we're looking at, we, we, we really think that also there is still space for inter-Africa, south-south remittance flows, especially adapted to be to be needs to be disrupted further or for better solutions to be uh, brought in place. Um, so these are the kind of things that, that really keep us excited uh, about now. Uh, having said that, um, we, we, we still think about B2C segment as something that's promising if done well. Uh, and lending that is getting a lot of bad vibe this day because a lot of people are risk averse. We are still investing in credit led businesses. Um, we believe that, uh, credit gap in Africa is so big that, uh, credit worthy customers are out there and are currently excluded and should be served. It's really about how. Uh, it's really about, we, we prefer companies that go to market that are marrying multiple services, uh, that provide them, uh, very valuable insights. 
uh, into their customers' financial health and behavior and uh, building very robust uh, credit um, departments, uh, managing risk and always evolving their risk assessment um, and, and prudently growing their loan portfolios, especially in these times. Great. Would you say uh, that within your experience with a portfolio so far, and your experience in Africa, there's been a moment in the past that has prepared you best for this execution. You know how Steve Jobs says that uh, he took his calligraphy class and it, he didn't know at the time that that would be a key feature as to what he was going to do with Apple. Though each of you can recall of such a moment. So- that's a, that's a tricky question, actually. Uh, for me, I would say it's probably like uh, just networking over the years and building a network that now really starts to show it has good effects when you really try to put the right people together around the deal. But also by living here in Uganda, like you understand the challenges of entrepreneurs in the continent so much better. So you really know, okay, this is where I can support and this is where I can't support. Like, I think uh, those those are some things on my side. Oh, I don't have anything poetic like, uh, like Steve Jobs here, unfortunately. However, I think what really prepares us for this is the fact that we are both entrepreneurs, you know. Uh, so I think something that comes out repeatedly when we speak to entrepreneurs is uh, they say, oh, you, it's very interesting. I'm really enjoying this discussion because... You're asking very different questions than other VCs. And <laughs> I think this is really because that both Agnes and I, we built businesses in the past ourselves. I built a fintech business uh, in the past, a remittance business. I was also an operator in Impesa. I think this prepares us to foresee the potential challenges that our founders may face in the next 6, 12, 18 months. And the questions we asked are closely linked to those. We can anticipate the key risks and challenges, and we can actually ask about and test the entrepreneur's preparedness of those and help them prepare and overcome them faster. I think this is what really, um, uh, and, and, and plus, we, I really enjoy doing that because it, it makes me feel like I'm still an entrepreneur. It's just that I don't have one business, but a portfolio. Uh, to grow. Now, how about your own, your own superpower? Because clearly you've pointed to the fact that your distinctive feature when you deal with your founders is your experience, uh, your individual experience as operators. So that comes handy to them. Is there any other superpower you can speak, speak about? I think on this journey of raising a fund, what I can speak for us both are two that come to my mind. One is creativity and second is resilience. <laughs> Without those, we wouldn't have gotten here, I think. Amen. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and uh, just like one more thing, I think it's, it's also like you, you, you never can stop selling. You be, you, like this is a... You have to be a constant salesperson. <laughs> ABC. Send founders, co investors, you sell to NPs. Yeah, it's like that movie, ABC, always be selling. 
A, B, C. Those are the ABCs of the business. <laughs> Always be convincing. Good stuff. Especially for me, I like coffee. So I think that guy also says like coffee is for closers. <laughs> Great stuff. So what would you say is the biggest misconception someone can have about you? And why do you think that is? I think we are constantly underestimated. I mean, that's, a, that's one advantage, actually, when you're a, a, a woman. It's like people don't really tend to take you too serious. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Selma? Yeah, I think, I think I'm totally agreeing with Agnes on this one. As fund managers, female fund managers will face a lot of doubt. Um, but I also have to say that this is more true, uh, on the fundraising journey, right? But when we speak to founders in this context, because we just stand out of the usual VC crowd as, as, as women, but also as ex entrepreneurs, they quite love it. They love working with us. We get a lot of that feedback and they, they want us to, to be part of the round because we're just stand out with, with a different value add and um, different different input and different way of working, so it's a it's it's also an advantage. Since we're talking uh, personality traits, what do you think are two crucial personality traits that are important important in our in this line of work of uh, venture capital investing or private equity investing? Because any given day, you're working with two hands. On the one hand. You are there to satisfy your limited partners. And on the other hand, you're there to satisfy and work for your founders. How do you reconcile the two? What are two crucial traits you find uh, a key ingredient to, to make that, that work possible? So I think prioritization is a really important skill. So prioritizing, we're always prioritizing and reprioritizing. Uh, I think being pragmatic and, um, and is, is very important because we are constantly, we're like, we're nonstop entrepreneurs. We're constantly adapting and, uh, to, 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 to the new reality, adapting our portfolio construction, uh, adapting, uh, you know, where we allocate capital, et cetera. Uh, on the question LPs and founders, I, I really think these two uh, goals are aligned because we want to give uh, superior returns to our LPs. And for that, we need to back uh, superior performers and helping companies become superior performers and making sure we allocate majority of our capital in those. is uh, th That goes quite in sync. Uh, but I would say prioritization and pragmatism. And taking risks, you know, uh, I think, you know, since last year, when was it like, I think last Q3, Q4, we witnessed this era of slower deployment of capital. I mean, basically, it was a complete break in some markets, uh, which I find personally completely unhealthy. And now in 2024, we also see ongoing uh, breaks, you know, because many people are sitting on their hands and deciding not to deploy. I think we need to stay entrepreneurs and investors. In every crisis, there is an opportunity. And what we used uh, that for, I mean, given our, the timing of our first close last year uh, in, in Q3, uh, we used 
the slower deployment of our um, in, in the market to, to actually increase ownership at uh, favorable prices in the best companies that we found. And we continue doing so. Yeah. And honestly, as an, as an investor, you have to keep investing. I mean, if, if you only invest in the hype cycles, you're going to end up uh, with a lot more losses in the down cycles. Down cycles are always a chance to, to get good deals. And it, like, I, I, I'm always surprised that too many people are too scared of that. But historically, this is always how it's been. Obviously, like, you can still go a bit further down, but you have to keep buying. Otherwise, you, you don't, you don't capture that upside. Amazing. You ladies make me think about a quote of Amjad Masad who says that uh, pain precedes good things. Don't fear to seek pain. It's very uh, amazing and impressive to see two ladies that are like, oh man, all these guys sitting with a dry powder, being chicken and scared. Let's go. Let's do this. That's very encouraging. One suggestion. What would you say to your 19-year-old with all the knowledge you've gained? Um, just, <laughs> just keep going. This is, <laughs> this is, you always have to keep going. And especially when in, when in the, in the difficult times, you have to also keep going and to talk to other people about the challenges you're facing, because most of the time that resolves them faster. All right. Be open, transparent, seek for counsel. Selma. I would, I would say, yeah, you're on a good path. Don't worry less and just enjoy the journey. Great. Create influence for each of you whether family, a book, a movie, a podcast. This is, this is difficult. Uh, there's so many great influences. Um, if you have to pick two. For me, I mean, one of them is obviously working also with Selma. I'm, I'm highly influenced uh, by, 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 by her. And, um, on the other hand, I also like, uh, reading a lot. Like I read a tremendous amount of books every year and tremendous amount of newsletters. And every day I receive stuff from you. Like every week we are exchanging regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, uh, like reading is the great influence overall. It's, it's important to, to keep reading a variety. Um, and. Yeah, and, and generally the also the people that we work with. I mean, we have some very cool founders um, that we get to exchange, and that, that that's very interesting. And co-investors and and investors. And that's like that's the exciting part about this job. You always get to meet new people, and you always get to learn from from uh, new great people. Cool, Selma. How about you? I think I guess you know my my what is what I I grew up during the war. Uh, so in my childhood, um, I got an example of like, kind of like, how, what does the war, what, what happens when the worst of humanity comes out? And then I've seen people, including my parents and friends, who overcome this dark period and rebuild themselves again. And I think that idea and that example that even if everything goes really wrong, people can still stick to the positive story and be the positive force on the world and rebuild themselves from zero it's kind of like uh, an example that stays with me always and and what i love about working in africa is 
our our founders, you know, they are also dealing with sometimes really difficult circumstances of building a business and they go and what drives them is that positive vision and they overcome it. And I love being a part of that creation process and proving that, uh, you know, that the best side of humanity exists and pertains over and over again. Hmm. Hmm. That's uh, beautiful and rich. Now let's conclude with each of you and uh, what ignites you. So there's a statement that goes as follows. The singer has to sing, the painter has to paint, the drawer has to draw. What is it that Agnes has to do to be? What is it that Selma has to do to be? Over to you, ladies. Right. Well, Agnes has to learn. Magnificent. I, I always have to keep learning. It's just, just how it is. Beautiful. Selma. Uh, yeah, I love learning as well. And I also want to say that I um, keep on learning with Agnes every day on this journey. Uh, but there, one thing that I think is, um, is, is a creation process that I really need on, um, on a constant basis. I am, uh, and, and this job really provides for that because our portfolio companies are creating some wonderful things. Uh, so I need to be part of that. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Any parting questions for me? Yeah, I want to know like what drives you, Ibrahim? Like why are you doing this, what you're doing? So the drive for me is, has always been uh, improving the perceived image about the continent. So that's been something I've had since I was in uh, college in the US. I created the African club of my university. I did find strange that there was clubs for every groups, for every, there was a club for finance. Uh, there was a club for football, soccer. There was a club for Europeans, there was a group for Latin Americans, African Americans, but there was another club for Africa. So I felt like it was worth being founded. And uh, the mission always since has been to, to correct the distorted image that Africa has overseas. So it's really a continuation of that mission because that's something I took on uh, my whole uh, almost 20 year career has been pretty much strictly around investment and finance in Africa. And uh, today, obviously, with this platform, uh, we've uh, restricted our attention to technology, sports, media, and lifestyle. And uh, within that, those parameters, which we believe are those that will elevate uh, not only the youth, which is the greatest asset that prevails on the continent, not natural resources. Uh, that will also be the, the sectors that uh, shift uh, the position and the perception of the continent. So uh, having uh, phenomenal ladies like yourself coming from overseas, uh, not operating in your own geographies or any other known geographies that typically uh, commands vast amount of uh, attention, capital, and shoes uh, our continent is uh, 
vastly appreciated and we love doing business uh, with people like yourself because you help elevate the game and the perception. Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. For more episodes around founders building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world, you can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anjami, and Audiomac. Tune in.